Hey everyone, my name is Heather Waroff and welcome to the Great Design Lead Podcast. I'm a senior UX designer currently working at Microsoft on contract and I have a UX consultant business on the side. Great, good job. Oh, Heather. <laughs> Gosh, Heather. this is going to be so much harder than I thought. <laughs> oh, do, do you want to do it again? Mm-mm. It's oh, okay, fine. Okay. Okay, my voice only cut up during the way but it's okay that's just who I am <laughs> well anyway um uh I I really love Heather Heather's a really special person to me and I really wanted to have her on the podcast today um because I wanted to spend some more time with her and, and uh learn more about her and uh, also if you're listening I want you to learn about Heather too so um so Heather and I met actually um totally by chance and totally thanks to LinkedIn <laughs> because uh, I love LinkedIn <laughs> I, <laughs> I was uh, uh looking at uh who looked at my profile and I was posting a bunch of stuff about UX design and stuff like that and I saw that Heather looked at my profile and I I, I looked at hers and I thought she was so cool and I actually went back in our chat to figure out what was the first thing that I said to you and I said um uh, hi, Heather. I think your work history is really interesting. I'd love to chat sometime. And uh, <laughs> that nerdy phrase, she responded and was willing to talk to me. And it's been really nice ever since. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on today. And um, and I really, I, I wanted to hear a little bit more about um, uh, how you started. And I know we talked a, a bit about um, uh, you growing up in Florida and and uh, where you went to college and stuff like that. I I wanted to hear a little bit about um like maybe maybe high school maybe before college um how how you decided uh, that you wanted to go into design in general and um, kind of what what drove you there. Yeah. Um, so early on, my family, you know, I come from a family of artists and technologists. So um, I was kind of embodied around that for a while. Um, you know, in fifth grade, I, I had to teach my class a hobby of mine. And so a lot of the kids in my class were, you know, teaching cooking or dancing or singing, you know, things that fifth graders normally do. Um, and so I taught my class how to make an HTML website <laughs> um, <laughs> with the help of my dad, of course, um, he helped me. Um, and so from there, I kind of just formed a, you know, a hot, a interest around that. Um, you know, I was always, you know, on my computer in elementary school and my friends, whenever they'd hang out with me, hated it. <laughs> and I... <laughs> And, you know, looking back, I definitely feel bad for always being on my computer, you know, in a social setting, but I think it definitely helped me, like, become more, you know, uh, accustomed to technology. And so, you know, from there, I think it was like in sixth grade, my my dad taught me how to use Photoshop. He was uh, um, really into photography. And so um, him teaching me Photoshop was one of the first Adobe products that I really was able to kind of, you know, dive into and start, you know, learning more about. Um, I have to say it was a little challenging at first being in sixth grade and trying to understand what I was looking at <laughs> and all of the tooling and everything. But over the, you know, years after that, I joined yearbook in middle school and then in high school, um, I became the editor-in-chief of the yearbook my senior year, so I was able to create the whole yearbook um, using InDesign and Illustrator, 
um, tools that people before me necessarily didn't use all of the time. So it was really cool to, you know, become a self learner with Adobe and then be able to go to school and really refine the craft and hobby that I once called a hobby and now turned into a occupation. And, and so it was in, in high school that you started using um, more in depth Adobe products and, and then you started applying to schools for graphic design. How, how did you make the, the switch that, oh, this is a tool that I use for this club that I'm in to, oh, this is what I want to do in college. This is what I want to study. Yeah. So I think before that, um, like the in-between, um, you know, coming out of college or sorry, coming out of high school, um, my cousin ran a photography business. And so she hired me as my first real, like, I would say my first design job per se. Um, I was really just editing photos and creating, you know, photo albums for her business, but I was using Lightroom, which was a mm-hmm. whole nother tool on top of the Adobe skill set. So um, that was like my first like introduction to using Adobe in a professional setting. Um, and initially I went to school for journalism. Um, I went to the University of Missouri um, and was directly admitted into their journalism program. Um, and, you know, being in journalism, I liked layout design. I liked the advertising aspect of things. Um, and, you know, using InDesign and Illustrator in high school to do journalism aspects was really helpful. But um, I I always was really more interested in the, you know, design aspect of journalism more so than the, like, writing aspect. And so, um, I decided, you know, Missouri wasn't for me. And so I came back to Florida and took on some internships really early on um, because I felt that that was really helpful to building my career. Um, and so I got an internship at a magazine in Miami called Hope Living Magazine, where they covered yes. the 100, 100 rich, richest people in Miami. Um, <laughs> and I was doing editorial then, but there was an advertising department and I was really interested in what they were doing more so than what I was doing. I mean, I was definitely, you know, maintaining the blog and getting, you know, to maintain their WordPress website, which was, you know, a really good segue into, you know, more of the UI UX digital space. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kind of realized at that point that I wanted to switch into graphic design. And so I went back to school at UCF and University of Central Florida, for those who don't know. Um, (laughs) And I did graphic design instead of journalism, but I did minor in journalism. So I did keep that as like something that I, you know, that I wanted to maintain, but not necessarily major in. I I remember seeing that you... If, am I understanding it right that you doubled majored in emerging media management and graphic design and you had a minor in mass communication and media studies? <laughs> yeah. So I was How did you do that? <laughs> I'm graduating with one degree and I was overwhelmed. How did you that that was obviously you can tell I'm a little passionate about this question. <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> So I was in school for a while <laughs> because I made because I made the switch um, back from Missouri to Florida. Um, you know, credits had to shift around, and because the UCF design program was um, you needed to get admittance into, it mm. took an extra amount of time to you know get those credits 
to and you know be admitted into the program not everyone is admitted so um, there's a portfolio review and it's it's a it's you know definitely difficult um and so it definitely gave me some time to you know build up these initial credits and the way that the program was set up and structured um it allowed me to really easily just take on a few extra classes to get that double major. So UCF made it pretty easy for me to double major, but I really liked the emerging media management path. I was like in conjunction to design because it gave me that management background without having to take business classes. Well, Mm. sorry, I took business classes. Don't get me wrong. I took like entrepreneurship um, and then emerging media, like capstone and cornerstone classes but I didn't have to take all the math classes that business degrees normally um, would entail. So it was a, it was a nice segue, um, but I definitely would consider going back and getting my MBA. (laughs) Really? Okay. So I went through a phase in my life where all I could think about was, I don't know what I'm going to do after school. And for some reason I was like hard set on, I need to go and get my MBA at some point. I don't know why I was so obsessive. I started like, uh, I had a phone call (laughs) with somebody who graduated from Wharton and she works in branding. And um, I wanted, so when you were thinking about how um, in a design industry, getting your MBA, uh, what do you think that you're going to get out of that, that maybe somebody else won't get out of? their MBA. Yeah. So I think, you know, I definitely have a lot more research to do on this. Um, so I could be completely wrong by my assumptions. <laughs> um, but I think that because design is so tightly, um, you know, wrapped up in business, you know, design mm-hmm. supports business in so many different ways. It's really important to know um, how design can strategically support business. Um, and I think, it really is great from a high level standpoint to understand how you know business works in general and all of the high level decision making that goes into that. Um, and so I, you know, in addition to um, you know gaining management and you know business skills to be able to conduct like director level roles. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that could you know potentially you know be something I do in the future. Um, but I, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> I, I I do want to um, uh, ask you about um, the media management um, side sure. of what you've learned. So um, in my mind, um, when I think about managers and when I think about like uh, product managers or things like that, I kind of have an idea of what's going on in my head because I just, I imagine they just learn about um, uh, designers. They really understand how they tick. They might be um, designers themselves and they understand how that all works. But to to go to school and to study media management, what was that like? Were there any things that they that really stressed to you or that were important that would be different than I don't know, let's say uh, financial analyst management um, or or something else like that. I, I was really curious. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we definitely had a lot of cool exercises that we did in class that would, you know, mm-hmm. you know, appoint someone in charge of a project and, be re- you know, make them responsible for getting things done, which was really helpful. 
I think, you know, a lot of the experiences after school are really what have kind of set the tone for what emerging media management, I think, means to me. Mm. Um, you know, I think product management and program management and those sorts of things can can sort of be tied into digital media management a little. Um, mm. And so I think it's really understanding the, you know, the media that you're needing for your project and the tool sets that you're going to use to, you know, achieve that sort of media and being able to manage that within a timeline and a process and, you know, delegate that out to different people on your team and still meet that schedule and that deadline um, are really important aspects of it. Um, but that definitely, you know, leaks a little into product project management um, and that the, the different processes that um, people use to achieve a project and get to their outcome. Yeah, I I can just imagine that with how do I say this? Like it's it's just so different, like working uh, and and managing all of these people. Um, that and it's it's just such a complicated thing. Um, whether it's like interaction designers, user experience designers, you have your researchers, you have your developers. It's like a a totally different world compared to um, uh, a bunch of other industries. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's really cool. And and anybody that manages uh, that craziness um, has my <laughs> respect. <laughs> Yeah, and, that and I think it's you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also important to you know note that it's really important for someone managing these projects and such to have a good grasp on technology as a whole and understand mm-hmm. you know not only design but the development process that goes into things. Mm-hmm. Um, that is really important, and I think that's also part of digital media. You know, it's just the side that designers aren't necessarily taught right off the bat, but it's definitely something that um, it's a great skill set to, you know, pair on to design because once you understand the like feasibility of things it, and mm-hmm. the effort that goes into things, it really helps, you know, um, you know, direct the schedule a little more. I I totally agree because. I, I I spoke to you. So I, uh, <laughs> Heather and I have gone through a bit of a couple changes in my life where I was applying to user experience design jobs. <laughs> and then I interviewed somewhere and it didn't go well. And then I called Heather and I was like, I just stopped crying. I'm trying to like <laughs> get myself back together. And, um, and uh, I bring that up because I, uh, since um, that day and everything, I, I've moved on and I started my own um uh, web design and development company and so yes. it's very exciting <laughs> um and so uh the crazy thing is is that um i i'm talking to uh designers i ask them how, what their interactions are with developers i i try to talk to developers hear them out too and it's just very funny because i'm do i'm working and i'm talking to myself in my head of like well we shouldn't design it like this in Adobe XD because I know exactly how it's going to work in Webflow and uh, maybe we should do it like this versus that and and uh, maybe it doesn't work that way because then when it goes down to mobile it does it's not really as successful you don't have the same experience so um, I can totally relate that if anybody wants to learn about development do it because it totally changes the way that that you look at everything and it's it's really cool I I heard from some people that um, they're very passionate that 
uh, that designers uh, shouldn't code. It takes away from um, your experience in, in uh, ha having time to really spend all the time making the designs and, and figuring all of that out. And I push back on that a little mm -hmm. bit. It's like, not exactly that you have to code everything from scratch because I don't think anybody would have enough time to do everything <laughs> for the design side, all the research, everything. And then, I mean, maybe if you have enough time and you have a big enough budget, maybe you could do right. that. I don't think it's efficient, <laughs> but, um, but do you believe that too, that um, uh, it's, it's, it's so helpful. I mean, you said you do, but I, I kind of want to talk about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you because I've learned, you know, the hard way many times that um, though it's great to explore and be able to really, you know, dive into some design thoughts and, um, you know, be able to be creative in that aspect. Um, it's really important to know your constraints ahead of time, because if you develop, if you create something that's beautiful and you have these expectations that it's going to work this, this certain way and either, you know, one development comes back and says, no, we can't do any of that. All of this time was wasted, you know, designing something that's not possible or two, they develop it but it doesn't come out at all how you imagined it. And then you mm -hmm. have to spend time fighting with them saying, well, you didn't follow the design specifications that I provided. Um, and there they'll be like, it wasn't feasible. These are all things that should be discussed early on because you know, that's how you can really, you know, design intentfully and thoughtfully and really, you know, create something that works within the objective defined initially absolutely it's all about communication and, and making all sure that, that that works yeah. yeah i i remember hearing about uh what what is the real responsibility of designers and then what's the real responsibility of developers and i was wondering if you feel similar that um the real responsibility of designers is really to advocate for the user to make sure that the experience works to make sure that it's easy to follow and then on the side of the developer is really communicating um uh sustainability and whether or not this can scale and feasibility and making sure that everything runs smoothly and works and can uh go from device to device and so do you look at that as those are the roles or do you have a different way of looking at it yeah, I definitely think that, you know, makes sense. Um, I, yeah, I don't see anything, you know, wrong with that. I think just open communication from the get-go is super important. I can't stress it enough. <laughs> but there are, you know, great projects, I will say. And that I've had experience mm -hmm. working on, like one that I'm currently working on um, for my consulting business, um, that um, allow for more creative experience exploration and, account for that in their budgets. And I think that's also something really important to consider because that's how, you know, you can really stress your value proposition for something that you're creating is making it really, you know, useful and interactive and exciting for users to use. Um, and so, you know, thinking about, you know, maybe if you're thinking about making a product or, you know, creating something new of your own, definitely, you know, bring UX UI on early enough and even, you know, UX consultants, my, I'm, I'm open for a consultancy, <laughs> but, but um, no, to really, you know, paint the way for your project early enough on so that it's holistically thought out, but also, you know, 
can really be, you know, intentfully thought through and really, you know, create something awesome because that's, you know, sometimes what make it or break it for products. I don't know the exact number, but I've read in the past that like, what is it like 20% of products make it and like 80% end up failing before oh. they even launch or something like that. So wow. it's, it's, it's a crazy number. That's probably not, you know, exact, but I know it's something like really drastic um, I like that. It. So yeah, it's, 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 so it's good to really, you know, bring UI and UX on early enough so that you can actually have a product that's, you know, marketable. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, Another reason why I love talking to you so much is because I feel like I relate to you a lot um, in terms of the, um, the even start, I didn't even know that starting with photography. That's really funny because I actually started with photography too. <laughs> my, very, my very first uh, job was um, uh, photographing um, a a uh, friend's headshots for their law firm and then oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I, my my first like job in which I had like a payroll and everything was um mm-hmm. uh at a photography studio using Lightroom and, oh my gosh, so similar. Uh, <laughs> and uh it was like a graduate it was kind of like a a place where you go and get milestone headshots done whether it's uh-huh. like graduation or wedding or anything like that and so that is so funny <laughs> that we that's started awesome. the same way I was about um Oh, I think I was definitely in high school. I was mm-hmm. maybe 16 at the time. Yeah. About the same age for you. Yeah, definitely. Oh, do you so still funny. do you still practice like have a hobby of photography on the side? Oh, I love photography. I I uh haven't really been doing much. I but my sister now uh uses my uh uh Canon uh T4i. Um oh, nice. and uh she I I hadn't really used it in a while and she loves photography and I'm like you can use it. If Passing down it, the I'll torch. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah, her name's Elizabeth. If uh, if she hears this, hi, hi. <laughs> but, That's so um, fun. I, I love photography still. Um, I, I have a hobby of, you know, exploring places and taking pictures of them. And, I saw. Yeah. And I still get to like use Lightroom, which is really fun. You know, it's definitely time consuming, so I don't always have the time to do it. But, um, you know, just this past holiday, I made a, a, photo, a photo book, um, a printed photo book of all of my different like travels and photography that I took along the way. And it was really fun to put like a layout and like composition together that like, you know, was just for fun. It was exciting. <laughs> I, I saw your Instagram of uh all of the places that you've been and and things like that and I am so impressed about how how many places that you've been to how uh, all of this adventure that you've done and I I saw um uh, I can't remember if it was on your LinkedIn or on your your uh website but you said you traveled the world in 30 days is that yes. a phrase or is, is no. that that's what happens no I actually did um oh my gosh I want to hear all about that so it kind of just worked out. Um, I, I plan these backpacking trips usually with like one other friend because, uh, you know, it's it's fun to do. Um, and, you know, the last trip that I did, uh, I went from, you know, Florida, where I'm from, to uh, London. Oh, and I segued to Majorca for a little bit. I had a friend living there. Um, back to London to meet up with 
um, the friend that I was going to be traveling Asia with. And then we went from London to Thailand, Vietnam, Japan, and then Hawaii wow. and back. And we did that in 30 days. And it was a lot. And it was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> How, but it's pretty easy where? to do, you know, nowadays. When it, Back when the phrase, I think, was, you know, configured, it was probably around, like, the Amelia Earhart time when, like, flying was difficult. So <laughs> now it's that a little crazy. easier. But... It's fun to just like, you know, figure out a path and, you know, take it. <laughs> so where did this come from? Because I, I don't know, I, it, I talked actually in the, just the very last podcast that I did before this one was, um, uh, we were talking about how uh, Americans don't really travel outside the Canada, Mexico, US continent. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I, and not that not that people don't, but it's just like it's not a common thing. I uh, most of the people that I know growing up uh, never even left the U.S. at all. It just wasn't really a thing that you thought of. You like you went to either Florida vacation, you go to Virginia Beach or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, what what got into you, or is it your family or anything like that 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 made you want to go travel and do all this stuff and and really just have the independence to go with just one person and just yeah that sounds so intimidating (laughs) yeah it definitely was when I first started doing it um and so um I think early on you know I was fortunate to be able to go on a bunch of trips with my parents they always took us on like a new trip every year and that was a really fun thing to do um but I I think in what was it middle school high school my best friend Kim she moved to Texas, um, you know, and so as like a summer trip, um, all of my five friends, four friends and myself would go and travel to see her. And that was the first time traveling without my parents. And that I think gave me a little more courage to be able to go elsewhere, you know, in, in, what was it? College. Um, I'm Jewish. So I was able to go on birthright. Um, and that was a great experience where you get to travel to Israel for 10 days, um, all expenses paid for. Um, and that was, you know, the first time I left the country without my parents. And so, um, I think that that kind of, you know, painted away for me that kind of made it seem that, you know, it's not so bad. Um, obviously that was, you know, chaperoned and guided. So it was a little, easier and more comfortable you kind of just showed up at the airport and you were on your way with like a guided tour which was awesome but um I think for me it's really getting out of my comfort zone um Mm. it's really important to me because if I'm in my comfort zone for too long um I kind of tend to get into a rut of uh you know just it it kind of reflects my creativity I will say um and so I started you know backpacking after college I really wanted to do like a study abroad or a you know teach um English in a different country throughout college but I was really you know too far into my career by like my first year in design school um I thought it was really important to take internships and actually full-time jobs excuse me um, full-time jobs within college so I was just too far into my career by the time I graduated to be able to teach English after mm-hmm. school but um, it was you know 
being able to backpack around the country, you know, numerous times, it's been really fun um, and really, you know, cool to be put into uncomfortable situations sometimes. Like I got my phone stolen and in Vietnam, it was it. Oh my God. You know, without a map, without any like way of <laughs> calling my family, but luckily I had my friend. <laughs> so luckily I had my friend with me. She had her phone, but like yeah. we couldn't really separate, or else it was really hard to like you know find each other. So oh we get. I remember we got to Japan, um, and it's crazy how this just kind of worked out. We stayed at a hotel just because we wanted to break up the times that we stayed in hostels. It was like, mm-hmm. it's a lot to stay in hostels over and over again, at least from my standpoint. So um, I'm, I'm not a good sleeper. So hostels and snoring people don't mesh well with me. Oh <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so we, we took a break from hostels and sta- stayed in a hotel um, when we transitioned from Vietnam where I lost my phone to um, Japan. And luckily enough, they had mobile phones in their hotels that you could take out of the room and use during the day for during all your like, stay during your stay, but like with free Wi-Fi, you know, in different places. So you could just connect to Wi-Fi and have oh. a working fo- mobile phone, you know, for rent, but for free, it was awesome. It was like such a great, like <laughs> great thing that they had. It was, it was really cool. <laughs> that is such a good idea. <laughs> Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so you said that you not only backpacked in other countries, but you also backpacked within the U.S. too. Is that what you said? Um, I wouldn't necessarily calling it backpacking within the U.S. for me. It was more. I, I think. I mean, I guess you could say like I took a plane to some place and <clears throat> and got an Uber and went somewhere else. And, you know, I guess that's considered backpacking. I mean, I've also hitchhiked, so that's fun, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, I guess it, it's a little more different for me in the U S because I'm normally going to visit people I know in different mm. places. Yeah. I, I had one experience in my life so far and I hope to have way more after college, but I had one experience, um, traveling by myself, uh, internationally, I was so awesome. nervous. <laughs> on on top of just traveling by myself, um, I I was going to uh, Belgrade, Serbia, to meet my boyfriend's parents. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so there's so many levels to this. <laughs> oh yeah, so many levels of nerves. I'm sure. <laughs> but um, I remember I I don't know I was I was so scared and I I had a, a layover flight in Germany, also a country that I had never been to before, and um, <laughs> just uh, I have so much respect for you because I did that and I was so scared and it made such a huge impact on my life I can only imagine multiplying that by like eight going to all of these different countries not having a a family to go visit uh in that mm-hmm. that country you kind of have to like just figure it out but I'm, I'm sure that it it totally changed your perspective on on how you look at everything and even uh what you think of those countries now that you've actually been there and you have your own experience to back off of it yeah, I definitely would say it's, you know, made me more comfortable, you know, in my own skin and to be able to, you know, figure it out and, you know, make your way, you know, no matter what it's, I think it's a really, you know, cool lesson that I learned is that like, it all works out in the end and you end up where you need to be. So it was, that's, it was, it was rewarding. That's such a nice phrase to remember. 
<laughs> I, I've, I've been having a little bit of a, a nervousness of um, uh, a bunch of contract signing and, yep. and like whether or not I'm going to have rent money and all of this kind of stuff, um, which I will, which is going to be great. That was a new development. Um, but uh, <laughs> but just um, having this all of this uncertainty and everything like that is is uh, it's it's not easy and and uh, and re- relying on yourself versus um, uh, f- finding something that's that's where somebody else is taking care of you. You're working for somebody else. H- mm-hmm. Having this this life where where you really are in charge of everything is amazing, but it's also like a double-edged sword because you're also responsible for everything. Oh yeah. And I don't really get to talk to a lot of people that are in the same situation that I'm in, especially somebody that's a couple years ahead of me. So how did you get started even wrapping your head around that and saying, this is what I want to do and I'm comfortable with it? Yeah, so it wasn't always easy, I will say, you know, I, I definitely started kind of where you're at, and I've had to pivot a number of times. Um, And so I started, you know, a marketing company back when I first got out of college. And um, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be self sufficient, I'm going to, you know, find my own clients, and this is going to work out. And, you know, it didn't, (laughs) Um, we ended up just dissolving it. It it wasn't, you know, bringing enough income. There was three of us splitting that. So it wasn't enough to, you know, be supporting on or to, to, to lean on. Um, Mm -hmm. But, and so I pivoted and, you know, I, I did, I I did go towards the more like contracting route where Mm -hmm. I, you know, I take on different contracts for companies, though I'm not necessarily at the moment a full-time employee of any um, of any one of the clients that I, no, sorry, any one of the, you know, you know corporate clients that I work for at the moment, mm-hmm. though I hope to change that in the future. But um, like I said, traveling kind of just made it more comfortable for me to take chances. Um, and so now I'm switching back gears a little bit. I'm starting up my consulting business again on the side um of still working with some of these contracts and I think that's been helpful for me uh, to be able to you know ease back into it a little more but I give you all the props because you're really just going for it and you're doing (laughs) you're kicking ass at it and you're doing great and I admire that so much because it's it's not hard every day is a new day and it's a new challenge and so I, I commend you for, you know, taking that leap and, you know, doing this freelance business. It's a hard hustle, but it's really rewarding when you can kind of, you know, see it all pan out in the future. And in the end, I, I find it so fulfilling to, yeah. to really choose what you want to do, where I've had, it's, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just, um, the ability to lead something and mm-hmm. um, really uh, be, well, I, I call it greatdesignlead.com, which is what I, <laughs> uh, which is what I call it. And um, super fitting, but, super fitting. <laughs> thank you. But um, but it's it's just like the idea of, of somebody that um uh um is really leading in in anything, which it could be uh, uh user experience design, 
Um, it could be uh, development design. <laughs> um, it could be branding, really anything. And and the clients that I, I've I've gotten so far that I'll be posting at some point uh, when the project's done, it's it's so neat because I get to do so much more than any of the internships that I was applying for. And I feel so lucky um, to uh, to have, well, I know that I have the skills and I know I earned them. And I, I know that, that I worked really hard to be able to do these things, but just the, the chance that I have where I, I don't have a, a ton of student debt that's, that's weighing me down. I, I don't have a bunch of other things that are weighing me down. I have so much freedom to do all these mm-hmm. things. And i I feel so blessed because I, I am working really hard at this business and hopefully one day it's going to give me the the ability to just be like location independent and and live where I want to rather Mm -hmm. than uh where I've been assigned (laughs) um (laughs) and and I I want to talk to you a little bit about that too because um uh I I know that you're moving uh and so I wanted to hear a little bit about that because we actually scheduled this so that uh, we would record before you move and this is all happening soon. So uh, uh, how's, how's that going? Yeah, it's exciting. I'm glad to finally be doing it. Um, but yeah, moving from Melbourne Beach, Florida to Boulder, Colorado, which it's an exciting move. It's something that I've been wanting to do for a while now. I was supposed to actually move there three years ago. Really? Um, yeah, I had um, a contract lined up um, for Dish Network and it fell through last minute, um, oh. literally the week that I was supposed to move there. But coincidentally, oh the house that I was moving into that we had a contract out for, we signed the contract and gave it back to the guy and we never heard back from him. So wow. that <laughs> fell through the week that we were supposed to move there. And then, you know, we were still looking for houses and there was a street that was called Quitman. And I just saw that as black energy and a rush into <laughs> moving. I was like, okay, I'm quitting, man. I'm quitting. <laughs> so, I mean, coincidentally, it's, great. It's, a, it's not a bad street. It's a great street. And I've actually looked to live there again, but um, it just wasn't the right time. And I acknowledged that. So I made some goals for myself and I said that I wanted to work for two of my, um, you know, dream companies you know in Florida while I'm still here and then I can move and so you know while I stayed back and didn't move right away I was able to work with Disney and Universal and that was really you know exciting for me to put my goals on paper and see them actually pan out um and so now I'm you know in a good place in my career and in my life and financially and I think that's a good time to do it now so it's a little more comforting I'm doing it with my boyfriend and our puppy so it should be you know an exciting adventure um and if it doesn't work out you know I can always come back but it's something that I've always wanted to do and I will be taking advantage of the skiing in the winter (laughs) (laughs) are you are you excited to live in a place with seasons Yes, I'm very excited. And my I think my hair will thank me as well. <laughs> you know, moving from a very humid climate, it will be definitely some, you know, change, but I'm excited for that. As well as for like the outdoors and the active state that Colorado mm. is. It's just so great um, to be able to hike all the time and 
do that sort of thing. That's exciting. When when people hear that you worked for Disney and Universal, I'm sure that that's kind of like like headlights in their face of just like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And I I want to hear a little bit about while they're really excited about that, like what you did while you were there, because I was uh, reading over uh, the descriptions that you had when you were working uh, on those contracts and on those projects. And um, uh, I'd love to to hear them from you personally about what you did and, and like the projects that you worked on and what you learned while you were there. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I just want to hear about that. <laughs> I think the most important thing that I learned at, you know, both of these companies and some of the others that I've worked at, such as uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers and AAA and now Microsoft, is just like the process that mm. really is important for design. Um, every company that I've worked at has, you know, their different way of doing things, but at the same time, they're all so similar. And so I think it's really cool to see, you know, what works, what doesn't, and what's similar in uh, comparison because, um, you know, process is everything. Um, if you're really organized with your process right off the bat, then, you know, you're setting yourself up for a really good project and a really good outcome. Um, specifically with Universal, I was working in their, you know, for their marketing department and their marketing department was set up like an agency. It was like their in-house agency, they called it. Mm. And so they had all of these different departments that worked together to, you know, achieve things. So there was this creative, there was like a net new creative team that would create concepts and then they would pass those concepts over to the digital production studio, which is where I worked at. And so we would turn their concepts into digital aspects, assets and aspects of the um, the marketing campaigns. And so we supported all types of campaigns, you know, which was really cool. Initially, I was in marketing. I didn't start off in um, in product design per se, but I started in digital marketing where I would create websites and things of that nature to support um, marketing strategies. But um, and so with, you know, Universal, I continued on that marketing path. And that's when I actually pivoted specifically from digital marketing um, to UI UX. Though I will say mm. I was doing UI and UX before within digital marketing. It was just under different um, organization. It wasn't, you know, necessarily operations. It was more marketing level. So it was interesting to see that transition and be able to, you know, make that switch. Um, but within, you know, my job at Universal, I was creating hundreds and hundreds of these digital banner ads that you see on different websites that you know, can be, some are animated, some are static, but they have different price points for different campaign structures and, you know, you know, they're click ads, um, target click ads. So you click on the ad and it takes you to the universal website, for example, you know, mm -hmm. nothing super glamorous, but it was a really ex cool experience because with that also we got to partner with the UI UX team who was building out the universal websites. And, you know, part of my role in the design or in the, sorry, digital production studio was to be able to start writing out documentation for the websites. And documentation, mm -hmm. um, if you don't know um, those listening, is a huge aspect of UI and UX because things that you design need to be documented so that developers know what to, de to develop. 
um, so that they can meet your design specifications. And so it was a really good intermittent step for me to switch completely over to UI and UX um, because I was, I was doing, you know, aspects of UI and UX before I called myself a UI UX designer. Um, but it was really great to make the switch when I worked at Disney. And that's when I was able to, you know, completely work on products from start to finish and be able to engage with my users and um, really understand their needs and, you know, conduct proper UX um, brainstorming sessions and interviews and be able to really do the research prior to building out wireframes and prototypes. Um, but it was really exciting to, you know, have that experience at Universal that helped me shape my way into Disney's products. Um, mm -hmm. And at Disney, I was working with the digital UX studio. So I, I was able to call myself like an actual UX designer at that point. Um, and I was able to work on a few different products for them while there. Um, and some overlapping with um, my time there. So I worked on a few products at once, um, but I worked on some operational products. They, these were all in-house internal products. So mm -hmm. nothing consumer facing, which I wish I had the chance to work on a little more, but you know, my career is still really early on. So I have some time <laughs> and, uh, but um, I was able to work on, you know, things that would help, um, you know, the traditional process and make things a lot easier. So I was still making users' lives a lot easier. Um, you know, for instance, I made a checklist app, which it's crazy because it's such a simple concept, but Disney was doing all of their operations through paper. So they were using hundreds really? of thousands of pieces of paper for operational tasks. That's like, crazy. Yeah. And so it was awesome to be able to, you know, cut down paper usage and be able to transition things into more of a digital use. So that yeah. was a fun, you know, uh, moving green forward um, kind of task. And then I ought to also work on a few different applications, one for Imagineering, one for uh, Disney's Magical Express bus ride, um, transportation reservation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so those were fun projects. Um, and it kind of, yeah, set me up for the rest of my career. That's that's so cool. I I actually one of my very best friends, um, her name's Asia. She is in hospitality and uh mm -hmm. she right now works in um uh non the nonprofit space and uh, oh. she was talking about how crazy the amount of paper usage is and mm -hmm. and the 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 impact that you can make of having this um uh digital solution to their process and and even just from my own personal idea of what it would change is just just so much more organized right and so much and easier to find yeah 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 the amount that you can like filter through and just sort through um instead of having to like literally find your paper out there in the world of your folders it's so much more helpful plus the less trees that we have to cut down the better because we need those trees right now more than any time <laughs> so definitely uh it's important and helpful to be able to reduce you know climate issues with digital processes absolutely and even um I keep on talking about this and it's probably getting annoying, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this six month uh, uh, Google analytics certification and, oh, awesome. and the amount of things you can do with data that you can collect instead of doing paper trails is crazy. Mm -hmm. 
and the impact that it can have on your business is crazy that so that even if even if you're talking to somebody who does not care about the environment they're like I don't I don't care like we'll just use as much paper as possible because that's the way we've always done it and that's uh it's going to take so much time to learn a new process like even if that's not a thing you want to talk about just the amount of data you can collect about that that can improve your business and, and save money and things like that is a whole nother thing oh yeah because you can use that data for many different things in the future and you can you know compare against it and really like you know see your business through a whole change but um you were saying a second ago that um you know, clients have expressed their concern around, you know, having to learn a whole new process in a digital Mm -hmm. way. But, you know, that's what's fun about being a user experience designer, because that's what our jobs are, is to make your lives easier. So I think, you know, it's important to stress that as well, just to remind people that, like, you know, that's our main goal, is to literally make your lives easier. So trust us when we make products, because, you know, we are looking out for your best, like your best, um, you know, experience and we will, you know, do our best to, you know, research these things that, and really change your business and your operations, just like, you know, making things so much smoother and seamless of a process rather than having to sort through papers and papers, though I will say in a, you know, from a designer, paper's great. I love paper because it's great to really put your explorations and stuff on paper first so (laughs) absolutely and uh the the way that you talk about it too is is not only are the decisions that you're making or the um the suggestions that you're making for your clients uh based off of years and years of practice and research and all of these things but also a lot of what you're doing is really data-driven when it comes Mm -hmm. to research and usability and user testing and user testing.com <laughs> and yeah. uh, there's uh, there's so much that goes into that too that um i think gives decision makers a lot of comfort in knowing that not only is this person saying this because she believes that this is the right way to go but we have so much data to back it up and back up funding this idea for how mm-hmm. we can improve what we're doing. And that brings up a great point because you just mentioned usertesting.com and you know everyone's process is different but I'm working with a company right now where they value doing research before anything is developed. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that is super important for businesses to really keep in mind and consider for your, you know, process and your strategy because it's really good to be able to validate design before it gets to development, just to save time and effort and money, really. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, user te- like sites like usertesting.com um, and things like that are really interesting if you kind of like plan them into your, you know, design process, but at an early enough stage that you can take what you learn from it and iterate on it and really, you know, create data-driven solutions, just like you said earlier. So you hit the head on the nail with it perfectly. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I, I, I did want to talk to you um, a bit. So when, when we first met uh, and, and I asked you what you did, um, you said you were an interaction designer. Um, and there's interaction design, there's 
the graphic design, there's user experience design, there's user experience researchers, there's like all of these different things that you may do all of those things in a given day, which is kind of crazy. And it's also kind of crazy that um, there's so many different hats that uh, designers wear. IX, UX, <laughs> uh, UI, XT. There's so many different acronyms for it too. It's so funny. <laughs> and so when I was preparing uh, to talk to you today, I was listening to a bunch of podcasts on um, interaction design because mm-hmm. I know that's something that uh, you have a specialty in. And so uh, when when they opened up the podcast, they said it's really important to understand the difference between interaction design and interactions design. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's ever a differentiator that you've heard of before, but they talked about interaction design being when we talk about flows and user journeys and the system of pages and the information architecture and the overarching flow that a user or customer will take. Mm-hmm. And interactions design they said was micro interactions and they Mm -hmm. said it was kind of like the polish on the project so whether it's like the way that um that a uh, drop shadow grows um the way that something scrolls or anything like that so people may may listen to this they're like interaction design versus interactions design that's so (laughs) close how do you understand the difference do you want to talk about that a little bit Sure. And I think it's important to clarify, I am not specifically an interaction designer, though yeah. I, I have a specialty, you know, you know, a skill set with doing, you know, that um, in addition to my projects. And I think it's really important to, you know, consider with your projects because, so I think when you mentioned, I think you said it was interactions is the one yeah. where it's flows and things of that nature. Inter- interaction, can... singular flows interactions okay plural (laughs) (laughs) normally when I think of flows and things along that nature I I consider that more UX so it definitely Mm. you know is still interaction because you know all of these different actions are how someone gets from A to B in your process and Mm. so mapping those things out early enough within flows within different you know uh, organizational aspects of your project um, are really helpful. Um, what those actions are and the rules that are around those actions that UX appoints are interactions. Interactions, yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, those micro interactions or those macro interactions, um, even, um, there's different aspects of that that are really important to think through because it when interactions are created, you know, intentfully and well thought out, um, they help create a really great user experience. Mm. So I think it all really is important and it all ties in really, you know, it's really woven really tightly together, which is why I wanted to kind of, when I was looking at what I did in my career, what I wanted to do in my career, I wanted to do it all really. Um, And I mean, having experience in motion from an early stage to really, you know, shape that into more user experience uh, interaction in motion driven decisions. It's really helpful. Um, And I think that, you know, people love when they see things move, but when they're done intentfully and they don't even have to think about that like it just kind of happens for them and it Mm -hmm. makes them their lives easier 
um, it's, it's a really good experience to consider for your projects. For sure. And the, the thing that, that I find so cool about this industry is um, the amount of work and, and research and time and testing that goes into um, making things intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much time and research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ma- making something where um, you're using it like as a user, um, and, and you go to the next step, you don't really know exactly why you just say, well, obviously, this is the next one to go to that the the amount of people that would be doing like, champagne popping and handstands and so happy (laughs) that you were able to say well obviously this goes to that like it seems so anticlimactic to you but there's so much work that goes into you not getting stuck somewhere and then just closing the app and then not ordering oh yeah yeah exactly you you want those end goals and so getting someone to you know work through a whole flow is not always as easy as people think because people will leave their flows if they're frustrated or if they're not happy or if they're not finding an easy way through something. So it's important, especially when you want a user to buy something, for example, or if you need them to give you important information that they're, you know, a little reluctant to give you, um, you have to make them comfortable and all of these little things, all these little interactions and all of these little like, you know, things that we think through in our process, um, you know, they all have a reason, even though mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, think all we do is make colors. It's not wrong, <laughs> but we do more than make colors. <laughs> I, I think that there's a funny story behind that. Somebody saying that you make colors. No, it's just funny because oh. I feel like, I, I don't know if you can relate, if you've ever had, you know, someone say you're going to make this look pretty or your, your job is to make this look good. I'm like, well, it's a little more than to make it look good. It's it's to make it work actually, but I will make it look good along the way. (laughs) (laughs) That is my job, but there's so much more to that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, all of us can make a nineties styled website where there's a bunch of animated gifs on the page, all moving Mm. at once. And a you know, a user doesn't know where to look. That's cool. It's really easy to do. Well, maybe not easy to do. It's still pretty difficult, I'm guessing. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it's attainable. A, it's attainable. But creating yeah. a real focus for someone to be able to get from A to B and really, you know, work their way through something—that's the challenge. I, so. as we're talking about interactions, this is more of a, a just a, a dumb, funny question that I have for you. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, I absolutely love Webflow and they come out with like just the funniest um, uh, commercials on uh, YouTube or, or anything <laughs> I've like seen that. those. <laughs> Did you see the one where they said um, uh, the, the guy came into the office and the designer's at her desk and he's giving her literally like car mechanic sounds um, to describe the interactions that he wants her to make. And as somebody that works and uh, you had projects where you work with interaction design. Has anybody ever given you, uh, can you make it go swoosh or something like that? I was just curious. <laughs> you know, I haven't necessarily, I, I haven't necessarily had someone say, can you make it go swoosh? But like, <laughs> but I have had variations of that where they're like, you know, we want it to just like float in 
but like <laughs> float in isn't necessarily an attribute that you can really just like assign to something you have to actually yeah. put rules and things behind it so you have to almost be like a problem solver to solve people's thoughts on motion because mm -hmm. you know there are ways to make something look like it's floating in but you know you have to understand the rules and stuff so that you can actually make that happen um you know you can make an effect that is called float in <laughs> but you have to like still appoint some logic to it behind it first <laughs> yeah absolutely there's isn't um uh <laughs> there isn't like a drop down menu with interactions where you're like float in the exact way that like Sarah requested yeah <laughs> like, exactly there's a lot more that goes into it <laughs> um but uh but there was one thing that I thought um would be really interesting to ask you about so you've been working with a bunch of companies that have a long history and they're they're large companies and mm -hmm. um when you join them uh, I'm sure that there's kind of like um, ideas of brand consistency and this mm -hmm. is the way that we do things um, and uh, the, these are the reasons why we do things and all this kind of stuff. Um, I, I was listening to somebody talk about um, the design history and, and the importance of documenting it, documenting the exercises that you're doing, um, especially if they're unsuccessful um, for a historic record so that you don't waste time doing the same thing again like three years mm -hmm. later and have no memory of it that's something that was a new idea to me of having a historical record of what you've done why it didn't work so you can go back to it and say well it didn't work because you did it this way I have a reason to do it a new way or that the same exact thought that I had somebody else did it and it doesn't work good thing they did that and they documented it so I don't have to waste like $50,000 doing that. Do, oh, yeah. Do you have experience with that? Yeah, that's something that I've, uh, you know, found that um, some teams do and some teams don't. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for instance, we record every single conversation at, um, you know, at Microsoft, it's great to be able wow. to, you know, look back on conversations, um, especially if new designers come into the team, um, they can send you recordings from the past and you can listen through them and you can see what works and what doesn't and what feedback, like, you know, the managers have given you um, and really be able to, you know, understand um, and narrow down your design um, explorations. Um, because I think, you know, the sky's the limit when it comes to designing. So it's really, it's really helpful when you've already had these conversations to look back on them. Um, and then there's also, you know, records where if you do some A-B testing and things like that, you can, you know, store that data for later so that other people know what, you know, users preferenced or what they didn't like. Um, and so it's really important to collect all of that information because, um, you know, what, like we talked about earlier, they're all data-driven solutions the, even from like a process standpoint um it, it's really helpful and really important so I definitely you know I'm an advocate for that that's a whole another level of this conversation maybe recorded for quality assurance <laughs> <laughs> on a huge I had no that's crazy what is it like working somewhere where you're being recorded all the time do you just like get used to it and you're kind of like I know what it's going to be used for it's, it's yeah. private it's like what is that like 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely for, you know, internal use and it's kind of just, um, you know, I'm used to it at this point. At first I was like, you see the record, you know, um, recording label at the top with the red light blinking and you're a little intimidated, but it, it definitely, you know, it's, it gets easier and you kind of don't even think about it at, after the fact. Um, and it's not something necessarily, you know, I mean, I guess sometimes if we're having, you know, solo design conversations, us as designers will initiate those records, but it's also from a project management level to really, you know, take ownership of organizing the uh, documentation aspect of things. If, you know, your teams are lucky enough to have some project managers, um, because, you know, it's just another part of, uh, to organize and, uh, you know, collect past conversations and things of that nature. And, you know, we do it in a number of different ways as well. You know, it's not just through recording things, but we use like OneNote, for example, to document, um, you know, V1s versus V2s and really, you know, go through all of our um, in-depth conversations, but like, you know, actually out um, in a digestible way, more so than listening to recordings over and over again. Um, being able to summarize those recordings and being able to put those into kind of like a, a little notebook, a digital notebook. That's kind of like what OneNote is. So it's helpful. I, that's so, so cool. I, the, the, the same person who was talking about the, the having this, this history, um, uh, of everything that you do. And, and I guess at Microsoft, you even have it even more in depth so that you can really have it uh, uh, an auditory history as well as a uh, design and written history of everything that's going on that you can refer to and use as kind of just like this library The the same person said that um, and I don't remember which company he worked for but he said that whenever he has a new designer join the team he asks them to make a user flow on how they understand the product and mm-hmm. then they uh, they meet as a group and then they all compare notes uh, and they have this this history of every designer that joined the team, how they look at the user flow. And as they make changes to the site, how that changes as each person comes into the company. And I wanted to hear what you thought yeah, about really that because cool. I thought that was just like a really cool thing. And also from from a manager side, really caring about how your designers are even from the first step in the door and being really curious about them going from that user standpoint to a designer standpoint and so Mm -hmm. I wanted to bring that up with you because I thought that was really cool yeah it's definitely you know something that's you know not not heard of um for example in my interview process before I even got the job I think they had question they the my recruiter was uh telling me that they were gonna you know to just to think about what I liked and what I didn't like about the website so Mm -hmm. I took that a step further and I created an audit um and a presentation Mm -hmm. deck that I presented at my interview um because it was you know just for me it was it wasn't required but it was an easy way to talk through my thoughts um in an organized way to be able to have everyone follow because that's what I would do you know if I had the job I would you know create a deck and I would walk people through that so, um, so that's what I did. Um, and then even a step further, once I got the job, one of my first tasks was to c- create an audit of the system and, def- and, you know, define gaps that were missing um, in our framework. 
Um, and so, you know, that was a cool task as well because that was all documented. And, you know, now the manager has that information for, you know, future. Um, but it was also cool to see, you know, as I created that audit to hear the feedback, you know, things that they had already considered, things that were in the works, things that, you know, mm. wouldn't work, you know, and it was great to hear even things that wouldn't work because then I knew, okay, so they're going this direction instead of the direction that maybe I thought initially. So mm -hmm. it was cool to like, you know, hear all types of feedback, not just good, but bad as well. How did they talk to you about that? Because I know for some people that can be a very awkward thing to say, you put all of your time into this, but this wouldn't work because of this. I'm sure that, that um, uh, somebody that's more experienced, they have absolutely no problem with that. But I can imagine uh, some people that being an awkward conversation how did they have it with you and 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 uh, it seems like you were you were very comfortable in the way that they described it to you um so I'm just curious <laughs> yeah you know like in college and this was what was one of the greatest things about going to school for design was getting those crit crit sessions and critiques mm. um early on because you know my teacher was ruthless he wouldn't hold back if he didn't like <laughs> something he would tell you and, it, yeah. you know, in college, I'm like, you know, really intimidated and like, am I going to pass? I don't know. He's telling me all these things, you know, mm -hmm. it works out. But um, in a professional setting, it's nothing different. You know, I think that's the most one of the most important things of being a designer is to be able to take all types of feedback. Um, and, you know, it's nothing personal at the end of the day. Um, so I think that's at least my point of view on it. Um and so for me, it was a little, you know, easier. I've already gone through these types of critique sessions and feedback and, you know, everything, everyone ripping something apart. Um, mm -hmm. But that's what makes it better at the end is if you get that negative feedback, because people can tell you, oh, it's cool. It's great until you're blue mm -hmm. in the face. But if it's not actually great, then you're not helping someone make it better. You're just mm -hmm. kind of giving them validation that doesn't really take them anywhere. So um, having a lot of eyes on something is really helpful. Um, you know, you can look at something and, you know, think that it's great, but you've, you know, continuously looked at this project and you're biased now. And so taking a step mm. back and allowing for that negative feedback is always really helpful because it brings your whole project into a whole nother direction that you, you, you were kind of at a creative block with, and now you can kind of reshape it and make it a better experience. For sure. I, I know that there are some, so I, I was in a, uh, an art and design college within Drexel and uh, I totally feel like there were some people that would get a critique and say, they don't understand <laughs> like what I'm trying to do here. And then there were other people that really <laughs> got it and said, mm -hmm. okay, what's next? Like, it was just not taking it personally or anything like that, just saying, okay, what's next? And, and, and documenting it in their head of this is how either this professor reacts, because that's also an element too, but also uh -huh. um, uh, understanding patterns and, and why things are working and why things aren't working. And those people that I knew are really successful and they're, they're calm. They, uh, they see it the way it is. Meanwhile, some of my friends that were more 
emotional and 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 had so much attached to them when it comes mm-hmm. to the critique like they'd be crying after class and all this kind of stuff but it's and I'm not saying that I've never done that <laughs> right I was gonna say there's definitely times where I'm like I say I'm not married to something but I really liked it and I'm like but 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 it's really cool <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah it, it just uh having that ability to to say okay what's next or or even if if you feel like like the way that the person um understood it isn't the way that you tried to present it it's also learning oh wait the design might be good but maybe the way I'm presenting it isn't and that's mm-hmm. something that a lot of design kids ki- kids people <laughs> um don't uh learn and it's such an important skill of being able to communicate what you did um and and either in presentation and in talking um oh, yeah. or written and and you were so helpful to me i had no idea how to write a case study for my for, for my portfolio <laughs> and you gave me an example you um gave me so much really good feedback and and positive helpful criticism with the site that I used to have and now my site is so much better meanwhile some other people that I reached out to they were like oh it's fine it's all good like the fact that you cared and you were willing to to give me examples and try to help me learn that means so much to me and so thank you so much oh yeah no problem I'll continue to do that you know (laughs) you know all a evolving process so if you ever want additional critiques or feedback in the future definitely open to providing that Absolutely. Thank you. And, <laughs> and so the, the last, the last question that I had for you um, before we wrap up and everything is sure. um, kind of a, a selfish question because uh, it's a little bit of advice. <laughs> um, so, uh, so the question is, is that you, your life from how I understand it has a lot of change often. Um, mm-hmm. You you're in these different places, you're in these different jobs, um, uh, you're learning different skills all the time, and you're adding more hats to your Rolodex of hat skills. <laughs> um, and so uh, I, I wanted to ask you, um, what is the most consistent thing in your life? And, and is there something that, that um, you lean on as, as the thing that everything else is changing and it's fine, but, but this is, it could be you that is the most consistent thing. It could be um, something that you do. I was just curious about that. Yeah. And I think I, I think I alluded to it a little earlier, but I think for me, the most consistent thing throughout all of these different changes is my pen and paper. Um, yeah. You know, I am so set on goal setting. It is really important to me. Um, And when you can really define what you want and what you want to work towards, it makes getting there so much easier. And so for every, you know, step of my career so far, I've written it down and it could have been like, you know, a year or two prior and I forgot about it. But it's really awesome to be able to write it down because then you're putting it out to the world that that's, you know, you're putting something from your mind out on paper and it's now a, you know, it's a, it's a living, breathing, you know, 
concept that you want to work towards. And you can put that paper away and you know, shove it in your cabinet for years. Um, but you've at least conceptualized it and you know dedicated your thought power to that goal. And it sounds corny, but it works. And at least it's been working for me and it's been consistent. Um, and it's, you know, a great experience to be able to achieve those goals. And it's also, you know, a sense of validation for yourself, which can really, you know, help support, you know, that self-esteem and keep you going when times, you know, don't necessarily look great or aren't going the way that you want them to. Um, you know, it's helped me pivot. It's helped me evolve and it's helped me, you know, grow as a person and a designer. Um, and to really be able to say, okay, this is what I want to do tomorrow. This is what I want to do in three years. This is where I want to be in five years, 10 years. Mm. It sounds corny and it sounds cliche, but that's, I think, the most consistent thing for me. I really love that. <laughs> I, I was going through a, a point when I was in college where I kind of felt a little lonely and I was uh, not doing that great. And it was just this really great moment where I, I thought, you know, I'm with myself all the time. I'm with myself when I wake up in the, and it sounds so corny too, but, but having myself as the, even if it's like the only most consistent thing, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it ha- like keeping yourself in a good state of mind and, and having these goals and, and really having yourself on a track that you get to control, not all the time, uh, but you try to, is is so, (laughs) so important. So it is scary because um, I don't know about your family, uh, but in in my parents' generation, you you work with a, a big company for maybe you were one or two big companies and you work for each of them for about like 20 years or so. And, uh, and that's your stability. That's your, your life. That's how you pro- provide for everybody. Um, and just choosing this path that's different from your parents and different than most of your friends can be really scary. So the, the idea of just really mm-hmm. having this piece of paper and, and having yourself as corny as it sounds, it's, it's really important. And it, it brings me at least a lot of, um, uh, um, uh, just relaxation a little bit and just a little bit of security. (laughs) So I totally, I totally relate to what you're saying. We're all just walking around with our heads chopped off like chickens. So (laughs) (laughs) if we can make sense of something, it's helpful. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It was really, really, lovely to hang out with you and I always love chatting with you but this is kind of like a little bit more special because I I get a fun fun excuse to just ask you a bunch of questions (laughs) (laughs) yeah this was a lot of fun thanks for having me absolutely all righty well until next time oh wait wait no no sorry uh I forgot at the end we we have to um uh, <laughs> we have to talk about how people can reach out to you and how people can reach out to me. I got so uh, involved in uh, in being excited to talk to you and thank oh, you for no coming worries. on that I forgot. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. So, um, so I'm going to start with me and then we'll end with you. Um, and I'm okay. going to talk about me, what I do, and um, uh, how people can reach out to me. So, okay. my name is Emily Giordano. Um, uh, what I do is I am a web designer and developer. 
and I do all of these different websites. Um, I can make things interactive. I can uh, develop with Webflow. I can make something that uh, you can update on your own with a, a content management system. If you have any projects or if, if anybody that you know of is in need of any website help, feel free to reach out to me. Um, my email is emily, E-M-I-L-Y, at greatdesignly.com. Or you can find my website, um, which is either emilygiordano.com or uh, greatdesignly.com. That's my company website. And all of these links are going to be in the description of the podcast. And now we're going to end with Heather and she's going to tell you how to reach out to her. um, And uh, and then we're going to finish up the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. So again, my name is Heather Waroff and I am a UX UI consultant. And what that means is I pretty much can either help you, you know, with just the strategy aspect of your projects or, you know, create something from start to finish. Um, I do websites, I do products, I do apps, I do web apps. So, um, you know, with that, I can do UI, um, which is the user interface of things. Um, So how things look and how things work or the UX of things, how things flow, how things, um, you know, to our points earlier, interact (laughs) um, through the site. Um, So uh, yeah, and you can reach me at either heatherwaroff at gmail and my website is heatherwaroff.com. Perfect. Alrighty. Well, if you want to reach out to either of us, you know exactly how to. And um, all right. Until next time, Heather, for real this time. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Take care. Bye-bye.